grief and pain Every cause you have to shake Lay it all down Lay it all down When your cares have buried you And there's nothing left to do Lay it all down Lay it all down at the feet of Jesus At the feet of Jesus Carried on, but your heart was tired Feared the worst and felt the fire Lay it all down Lay it all down Filled with all those anxious thoughts All your doubts became your God Lay it all down Lay it all down At the feet of Jesus at the feet of Jesus lay it all down 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 At the feet of Jesus We'll be giving up on better days There are memories we can't erase Lay it all down Lay it all down to feel what we can't explain There's nothing here that can ease the pain Lay it all down Lay it all down At the feet of Jesus At the feet of Jesus
everyone. Welcome to worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're here joining us. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning. This one's a little bit newer, but I think you'll catch on pretty fast if you don't know it already. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us, as we forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let your kingdom come, Father, let your kingdom come. Father, that you will be done on earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, that your kingdom come. Father, that you will be done on earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. As we forgive the ones who sin against us, forgive them, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let your kingdom come. It's yours, it's yours, all yours, all yours, the kingdom, the It's yours, it's yours, it's yours. 
family. Good morning. I caught myself uh, this morning saying to myself, it's Baptism Sunday and uh, just exciting. Um, Baptism Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays that we get to experience and, and participate in as a church family. We have the absolute joy and privilege to claim God's covenant promises and baptism uh, over this little one, Harper Adelaide Lies. And I uh, welcome her into the family of God. And uh, Baptism Sunday, particularly when we baptize a child, there's several things happening that every time we do it, we, we want to we talk about and celebrate and acknowledge. Uh, the first thing that's happening is, is Josh and Alyssa are making promises to Harper. And uh, that is a beautiful thing as her parents. The second thing is we as a church family are also making promises to this little one. Uh, which is also incredible and beautiful and amazing. But the most incredible thing that's happening this morning is that God is also making covenant promises to Harper according to his abundant grace and love for this little one whom he claims this morning as his own, his covenant child. And that is a gift. Can I get an amen to that? And we explain why we, we, we acknowledge this and we claim this is because scripture testifies that God's love and faithfulness toward us is extended to his people throughout history. God established a covenant with Abraham and his descendants in Genesis, gave them a sign of the covenant, circumcision, which was given to male infants at eight days old, right, at a very young age. Jesus Christ comes, establishes a new covenant. It's the New Testament that links baptism and circumcision together. But Jesus' new covenant establishes a covenant for all to be received into the family of God. And what I mean by that, it's no longer a covenant extended to just the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to even Gentiles, which includes the majority of us, I'm assuming, this morning. And that is good news. And now that sign is offered not just to male infants, uh, but to young and old, male, female, uh, as Paul will write, uh, slave and free, right? There's no barrier uh, that prevents us from entering into the family of God. And that is what we celebrate uh, and acknowledge today. And so we offer the gift of baptism to little Harper uh, as well as adults because God's love for us precedes our love for him. Harper doesn't understand <laughs> how much you are loved, but sweet little girl, you are so loved by your parents, by your family, and by this church family. And it doesn't, because you, just because you don't understand it or know it doesn't change the reality that she's your daughter. 
In the same way, God welcomes her into his family uh, as his covenant child, even though she does not understand it yet. We claim these promises. And so I know Harper is kind of behind on a nap, and so I'm going to invite Josh and Alyssa forward and Harper uh, as we, uh, we get this baptism going. Hi, sweetie. And uh, just a reminder, whenever we have siblings, we always invite them to dip their hands in the waters of baptism. And may this be something foundational for us. I invite you to come after the service, dip your hands, invite as families come with kids to remember that we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what these waters represent, and that is good news. Uh, Josh and Alyssa, Though because God has given you the responsibility to love and raise Harper, I ask you to make the following commitments. And after I ask the questions, just answer, we do God helping us. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Accept the promises of God and affirm the truth of the Christian faith which is proclaimed in the Bible and confessed in this church of Christ. Do you believe that your children, though sinful in nature, are received by God in Christ as members of his covenant and therefore ought to be baptized? And do you promise in reliance on the Holy Spirit with the help of the Christian community to do all in your power to instruct Harper in her Christian faith and to lead her by your example to be Christ's disciples? Alyssa and Josh, how do you respond? We do. God helping us. Amen. You ready? You ready, Harper? Yeah. Now, Fusion family, I invite you to stand. We have the joy and privilege of standing alongside Josh and Alyssa in their commitment to Harper. So uh, I'm going to ask you a question, and I just ask if you agree uh, to respond in unison. We do God helping us. People of Fusion, do you promise to receive Harper in love, to pray for her, to help instruct her in the faith, and to encourage and sustain her in the fellowship of believers? People of God, what is your response? We do God helping us. Infusion, you may be seated. Uh, one, of the, one of the beautiful uh, traditions that we have grabbed a hold of is, is to speak these words of the French Reformed liturgy uh, over Harper. And so uh, if you would like to, to join in and just offer a hand, extend a hand toward this little one uh, as, a, as an acknowledgement that you believe these truths. Uh, Harper, for you, little child, Jesus has come. He has fought, he has suffered. For you, he entered Gethsemane and the horror of Calvary. For you, he uttered the cry, it is finished. For you, he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and there he intercedes for you. All this was done for you, little one, though you do not know any of it yet. But we will continue to tell you this good news until he, it becomes your own. And so the promise of the gospel is fulfilled. We love him because he first loved us. What do you think, Harper? You ready? <laughs> Josh and Alyssa, you guys ready? Yep. You're like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> and so Harper Adelaide. Am I holding her? If you want to, yeah, or I can. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, Harper Adelaide, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm sorry, sweetie. Yeah, we can praise God. Oh. No. Well, now that I got her. <laughs> Josh and Alyssa, um, you know, we have the privilege of, of, of saying a verse 
I might need to give her back if, uh, but, but, but right now we're doing good, aren't we, Harper? Yeah. Uh, you shared a scripture passage that holds special meaning uh, to you from the wisdom's literature that where we look to God as our author, as the guide of this journey. And this is our prayer for Harper from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Uh, we pray that as you raise your daughter and model for her the ways of Jesus Christ, that we pray that she would learn to trust in the Lord, who is faithful, who is good to lead us on this journey. And baptism is a reminder that, uh, uh, to us that the one who holds the world in his hands also holds each of us in his hands, including this precious little one. We're just having a moment. No one else thinks, anyway. And, uh, oh, okay. And there's some, there's some gifts, and I, I'm going to give those to you, but now that I have her, I would love to pray. And uh, is that okay if we, and uh, feel free to extend a hand. Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your covenant promises for this little one. We thank you for the innocence Lord, we thank you for just how you've already been with them on this journey. We pray, God, that you would continue to, to bring healing and growth and maturity to this little one. And God, we pray for her journey that there would not be a day where she does not know the love of Jesus Christ represented through her family, through her parents, and through this church family. We pray all this in Christ's name and God's people say, amen. Amen. Here we go. We'll get you back to mama. And I feel like we should just praise God for God's good gifts. And here, Josh, we have some gifts. There is a, a wonderful book that we, we give at your baptism so she can learn what this day meant, a certificate. And then in this box is the French Reformed Liturgy. It's sealed. And so that day when she claims Jesus as her own is a day you get to open this and read these promises that were claimed in her life. And God's people say, amen and amen. Hey, sweetie. Okay, I got I to gotta pray. I got to keep praying. Thank you. At this time, I'd invite uh, our, our covenant children uh, to uh, those who are choosing to go down to Sunday school and, uh, and children's worship to head toward the door over there by Mr. Aaron. And as you all head that way, you are our covenant children. You are beloved. And that is why we get to offer this blessing over you. And you get to bless us in return. Boys and girls, you guys ready? All right. Adults, we ready? All right, together now. The Lord be with you. And also with you. There we go. Someone said it last week, I think. It doesn't get old, right? It doesn't get old. We join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we, we thank you once again for your covenant promises. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, help us to hear these words from Psalm 25. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. The psalmist continues, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. 
Lord, in just these few verses, we're reminded of the profound beauty, mystery, and wonder of the gospel that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That by the blood of Jesus Christ, the willing death that your son, Lord Jesus, that you gave, you gave your life on the cross because of this gift that was offered, Lord, we have the grace of forgiveness. As we remembered this, earlier this morning that as far as the east is from the west, so far you have removed our transgressions from us. Lord, we are forgiven by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what these baptismal waters represent and signify, sign and seal is your covenant promises. Lord, we thank you for that gift. We thank you, Lord, and in, in, in this practice of, of baptizing young children, Lord, we're reminded profoundly so that your love comes first and we simply respond in faith and love. And yet, Lord, as, as, we, as we read this psalm, we recognize that, Lord, we, we continue to fail. We continue to stumble. We continue to, to make st- mistakes, not only in the things we do to hurt those that we love, those you've called us to love, but, Lord, we fail in the ways that, that we don't do the things to love the people you've placed in our lives. And yet these waters signify that there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is assurance. And so, Lord, as, as, as our hearts are united together as your people to, to lift up in prayer those in our lives, in our church family, and, and beyond who are, who are going through difficulty, Lord, we claim the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God the Father that is in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray for those who are, who are going through a variety of ailments and diseases and sicknesses where, where the future is uncertain. We claim the hope and the promise that, Lord Jesus, you walk with them on that journey. For those, Lord, who are, who are traveling and journeying through that journey of grief because of a loss that they've experienced either recently or, or some time ago, Lord, we claim the promise that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you walk with them on this long journey of grief and loss. And Lord, for, for all those others who are, who are facing a future that is, that is unknown and uncertain because of, of things that have changed in their life, maybe a change of occupation or a loss of job or, or a loss of some kind of financial security, Lord God, we pray that you would walk with them. And we claim the promises of the gospel that you do walk with them. And Lord, as your people, we acknowledge that as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So often, Lord, you call us, your people, to be the hands and feet. And so when we make promises to little Harper this morning as the church family, we, we do that acknowledging that mysteriously and beautifully, Holy Spirit, you work through your people to bring your kingdom. And so, Lord, move in our hearts and our lives compel us, urge us, nudge us, or even more to continue to be people who not only claim the gospel as our own, but live into this gospel good news of grace, forgiveness, and hope. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. God's people say in one voice, amen, amen, and amen, and amen. Since I always do, I'm just gonna have to say it again. Good morning, Fusion. Good morning. There we go. 
Beautiful Sunday. Uh, we're reminded again of God's abundant grace, his love for his people. And uh, last week we talked about give us this day our daily bread. And uh, I had a whole week where I couldn't say no to my kids if they asked politely. And so anyway, just kidding. Emmy figured that out. There she is. Okay. A couple things coming up this week. Uh, not this week, but actually in a couple weeks. Um, actually, this Saturday around the campfire, uh, we're going to be having some campfire and s'mores. It's an all Heart Awake event. Uh, the campfire pit is out this way. And so you're invited. Uh, Saturday, uh, there's not a time on there. Oh, no, there is a time. 7 p.m. And so this is just another opportunity to gather as a Heart Awake community uh, to just enjoy some fellowship, some treats, and uh, some good times together. Uh, also, um, there is a fusion potluck. Uh, this time we're going to be grilling up some hot dogs and hamburgers. It's in two weeks. August 13, we'll be gathering in the pavilion. And so just a little heads up, two-week warning. Uh, bring a dish to pass. If you can't, that's fine. Just we'll have plenty of food, but just come as we continue to embrace uh, sharing names, sharing life, sharing experiences, sharing stories together, growing together as a community. Uh, also, um, the Mount Pisgah outing uh, sent in an email, a little sign up. And so if you'd like to, to join in that August uh, 9th, a Wednesday night at 6 p.m., we're going to gather in the parking lot there uh, at the Mount Pisgah parking lot. And we're going to have just a time of self-guided prayer. And then we're going to reflect on those experiences over some ice cream at the general store. So if you're interested, please sign up. Uh, if you need that uh, sign up, I'll figure out another way to get it out, but it has been in the email. If you're not on the email link, send me an email, uh, jb at hardawag.com. We'll get you all settled there. And then finally, one thing that's coming this fall, and we just kind of want to tease it. Uh, again, I mentioned uh, this emphasis on connection, shared names, shared experiences, shared life. Uh, we're going to be kicking off something. It's an idea that's borrowed from another church. About, it's called Breaking Bread Groups, and the idea is simple. It's three households, so whether that's individuals uh, or families or couples, three households will gather three times. Uh, over the course of three months, so a three by three by three, so you, know, so you can remember. Uh, and we'll be setting up a sign-up, um, but that's going to be kicking off this fall, and there's flexibility in that, when you gather, what you gather around. But again, the idea is we want to deepen our connections. And so there'll be a sign-up, you sign up, we'll organize some groups, and then we'll send you off to find a time, place that works for all of you. Make sense? More information will be coming, but just wanted to kind of tease that out today. But let's jump in. We got, uh, some, we got some exploring to do of the Lord's Prayer. We're continuing a summer series in the Lord's Prayer titled, Teach Us to Pray. And we've been working line by line through this well-known prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And, and this week we're considering this line. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, if last week was maybe the most basic and simple of the prayers, give us daily bread, like give us food, right? Uh, I think this week just might be the most challenging of the prayers to live out. Can I get an amen? Amen. Maybe a sheepish amen. Amen. Forgiveness is hard. We're going to be talking about forgiveness this morning. Again, our scripture that we'll be using is, are the words from the Lord's Prayer from Matthew's Gospel found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We've been using different translations to kind of step outside of the familiarity, to kind of look at different translations. This week we'll be using the, uh, the NASB. And uh, if you're willing, if you're able, uh, we're going to recite, we're going to speak, we're going to listen to the word of the Lord uh, together. And so if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand uh, as we use the New American Standard Bible. Again, Matthew 6, starting with verse 9, I will begin and join, invite you to join with me. Pray then like this together. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's continue in our prayers together. Father, once again, we thank you for this prayer that we've been studying throughout this summer. Lord, once again, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds uh, to receive a word from you. We trust you, our good and holy God, to speak. May your servants listen this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It was the summer of 2005. I had just graduated from Hope College. Go Hope. Whoop. Yeah, all right. This Midwest boy from Milwaukee, grew up in Milwaukee, was moving to Chino, California as a youth ministry intern. Shared of those experiences. Chino, California. Whoop, whoop. There we go. There we go. It is where I met my wife, uh, Yvonne, and so lots to be thankful for for those two plus years that uh, I spent there living there full-time, serving in ministry. Uh, there are other things that I could share about the, the, the landscape in Southern California, the mountains and the ocean and the desert, all these things is beautiful, and, and the food, like my, my world and the food world was opened up and got to experience wonderful food, but, but the thing that, that, that I cherish the most um, are the people and the relationships that, that I gained during my time in Chino, California. And one of, the fav- one of my favorite people and one of my favorite families that, that I met and got, became quite close with was, uh, was Pastor Tony. And uh, there's a picture of Pastor Tony, uh, or Guillermo is his, his real name, but Pastor Tony and his family, be- we've become very close and keep in contact to this day. Uh, but Tony was, was the church custodian at the church that I served, and, and more importantly, uh, he was the pastor of La Senda de Cristo, a Spanish-speaking congregation that met in the afternoon of the church that, that I served. And uh, Pastor Tony and I, our offices were kind of adjoining, like not adjoining, but like right next to each other, kind of across the hall in, in a building, kind of an extra building kind of behind the main offices. And so it was just kind of the two of us back there in that space. And so Pastor Tony and I became quite close and uh, very quickly uh, he embraced me and, and his family invited me over for, uh, for 4th of July, my first 4th of July in Chino, California, and we had some incredible carne asada, and, and we lit off some fireworks and stuff, and it was just an incredible night. Uh, but one of the things he also did was he tried to teach me some Spanish along the way, uh, varying success, um, but, but I, I had the hardest time, anyone else? I did not take Spanish. I wish I would have. I wish I knew Spanish better, but uh, he taught me kind of, he was trying to teach me the difference between uh, buenos dias, buenos tardes, and buenos noches. I might not be saying that right. And I'm like, when, do I, when does buenos tardes start? And I'd always kind of mess that up. Um, but he was kind of teaching me that. We just had this wonderful relationship. Um, and all those things are great, but I think the thing, the thing that I, I loved most is what, what Pastor Tony showed me. Uh, Pastor Tony, Tony showed me an example of faithfulness. Uh, he was certainly a hard worker, but even, even more than that, his, his passion for Jesus and his faithfulness to Jesus and to Christ's church um, was inspiring. Um, I, I remember they would do these all-night prayer services, and so they would meet, the, La Senda would meet for, for a meal 
we joined for the meal and, and, and made it like maybe an hour into the prayer service. But then they would do a prayer service into the night. And it was incredible. And then, and then Pastor Tony invited me for early morning prayers. Um, and I think it was 5 a.m. And uh, he would be in the sanctuary praying for his church uh, and for our community. And so I joined him once. It was, I, in my mind, it's 5 a.m. I don't know, I was like 22, so maybe it was like 8 a.m. I don't know. It, it felt really early at the time. All those things kind of changed. But so some of what we're doing, like on Tuesday mornings where we're opening the sanctuary, some of that is, is partly inspired by Pastor Tony's influence in my life. Um, and then there was this moment during that summer where his faithfulness to Christ Church was affirmed by the Reformed Church in America. And, and I got to be there when, when Pastor Tony was ordained through the commissioned pastor's route in Southern California and got to be there in Paramount, California as we celebrated him and others who were ordained as commissioned pastors as they were already serving in ministry. And, and so there's just so much to be thankful for and, and so much to be inspired by. And, look, and, and I looked up to Pastor Tony in so many ways. And, uh, and by the end of my, our time in California, it was, it was a hard season, the, the church uh, was, was, sh- was shrinking and, and, and our church closed. Our, our church closed and I remember the last Sunday there that was a difficult season uh, but, but the thing that was happening was that our daughter church was coming in and our daughter church at the time was, well still, is, is very outreach focused and uh, more diversity and that was higher value and I, just, I was just thinking like, oh man, this is gonna be so good for Pastor Tony. Like he's finally gonna be affirmed for, for the things that he's doing and but then we moved to Michigan, began our journey here in Holland, the seminary journey, and, and, and we found out that uh, months later that the church decided to move in a different direction, and they let Pastor Tony go. And uh, I couldn't understand it. I'm like, why would you do that? I was shocked. I was hurt. I, I, I felt some guilt because I, I had said this was going to be a good thing, and I was just angry. I was just angry. See, friends, this morning, we touch on a part of the prayer in the Lord's Prayer that unfortunately is all too relevant for all of us because we've all been hurt in some way, in some fashion. And sometimes we've been hurt by people or even institutions who we would not have expected would hurt us. I don't think I have to ask for an amen there. The truth is, what we're going to talk about, forgiveness is hard. And particularly this, the second movement of the prayer, forgiving our debtors, those who have hurt us in some way, it's hard. But before we get to forgive them, let's start where the prayer starts with forgive us. The one thing you'll notice uh, with this prayer, forgive us, is that depending where, what context you learn the Lord's prayer, the words vary a little bit, right? Right? Uh, forgive us our debts, but some of us learned forgive us our trespassers, or maybe some of us learned forgive us our sins. In Matthew's gospel, we read this, uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, however, if you, go to, if you turn to Luke's gospel, the original Greek is, is slightly different. In Luke chapter 11, we read, forgive us our sins, for we also have forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, for some of us, that, that kind of makes us think, okay, well, well, the logical question for some of us is to ask, well, well which one's right, right? We want to pray the right one. Wh- which one's right? And if my answer would be yes, right? 
right? They're all right, right? They're, they're, they are right. Um, certainly, we need forgiveness from our sin. Let's do a little quick word study on sin and debts. Certainly, we need forgiveness from our sins. This is a, a theological word. In the Greek, the, the word is hamartia. It literally means missing the mark, uh, meaning that, that we miss what God's good plan and order for us. We, we miss the mark. That's what the, the word literally means in the Greek. Uh, but this other word, debt, carries a powerful word picture, right? Because we know what debts are, right? Uh, and, and that word picture is important to consider and realize. The, the Greek word uh, in Matthew 6 is, is the word translated debts, and that's exactly what the word means. It is, a, it is, quite frankly, a banking term, if you could say. It's the same word you would use to describe any money that is owed to another on credit. So you could say like your housing loan or student loans or credit card debts. Like it is the word that you would use to describe all of those things. That's the word. That's the imagery used, debts, in Matthew chapter 6. Now, Jesus in Matthew 18 is actually going to expand using this same imagery of debts. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to Matthew 18 because we're actually going to be camped out there uh, this morning for quite a bit. So, Matthew 18 is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Jesus uses this imagery uh, directly of debt in this parable found in Matthew 18. Uh, the parable opens, uh, the context of the parable is Peter, one of the disciples, comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus this question, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And he says, up to seven times? Now let's stop there. Let's give Peter a little bit of credit. Seven times is actually a lot, a lot of times to forgive someone for the same thing. Can I get an amen to that? And, I, I mean, I think Peter's actually trying to be pretty gracious and, like, maybe kind of clever because seven is kind of a number of perfection in the scriptures, right? And so it's like, I got it, I got it, I got it. Uh, how many times should, seven times? Like, like, maybe trying to get some credit, right? I don't know. Um, but, but he asks this question, and what does Jesus say? No, not seven times, uh, but I say 77 times or 70 times, seven times. In other words, Jesus is like, no, as many times as needed, Right? Uh, anyway, and then Jesus goes on to tell this parable that shifts the focus right back to Peter, and I think shifts it right back to each of us. Let's read verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now let's pause there. The debt that this servant owes is, is 10,000 talents, or as this new international version uh, kind of translates that, 10,000 bags of gold. Now can you imagine what 10,000 bags of gold? What's the, what's the show, DuckTales? Scrooge has that big vault of coins. Like, it's like that plus some, like 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, a talent represents 20 years wages. So 20 years of wages is a talent or one bag of gold. So multiply that times 10,000, you carry the three or whatever, and you get a bazillion dollars, right? It is a gazillion, bazillion dollars. I wasn't going to do all the math. It's just an insurmountable sum of money that this servant owes his master. How did he accrue that kind of debt? I don't know. But Jesus continues the parable at verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him, before his master, says this, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. It's kind of a laughable statement, right? He can't, there's no way he could pay this back. But we get to 27. The servant's master took pity or had compassion on him, canceled the debt, 
and let him go. Let's stop here. I think we pretty clearly get Jesus' point. When we pray, forgive us our debts, Jesus' parable reminds us powerfully, in a powerful way, that the debt that we are asking for forgiveness is a debt we cannot possibly even begin to imagine of repaying. It is a a debt that we cannot repay. And, And this is the starting point of Jesus' prayer, a reminder that each of us is a sinner. Each of us is a sinner. We are each in desperate need of the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. What those waters represent, each of us is in need of that. As Romans 3.23 says, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now when we think about this truth that we, are, we all owe a debt, we all owe a debt that we cannot repay. It's not a popular opinion right now in our current context, right? But an honest look at in the mirror reveals the truth. Like what we want to say is, you know, I'm not that bad. But if we honestly look within the mirror, really we start to confess, well, I'm not that good, actually. Dallas Willard writes these very convicting words in his book, Divine Conspiracy. He says, today even many Christians read and say, forgive us our trespasses as give me a break. In a typical late 20th century, or you could say 21st century manner, this saves the ego and its egotism. I'm not a sinner, I just need a break. But no, I need more than a break. I need pity because of who I am. If my pride is untouched when I pray for forgiveness, I have not prayed for forgiveness. I don't even understand it. Now that's a heavy word of of truth. All the more why we look to the waters of baptism and the grace that is offered us in Jesus Christ. But but when I consider my sin, my debt, if you will, we have to to lean also not only into the, the bad things that I do to hurt people because we've all been there. We all do that. We've all hurt people we love. But we also have to consider what tradition will tell us is sins of omission, which means the good things that we could have done or maybe even should have done that we failed to do. on a daily basis. And as we think about all of those things, if we really look in the mirror and consider all those things, then the ledger quickly begins diving helplessly into the red. We owe a debt that we cannot possibly repay. And so when we pray, forgive us our debts, this is a prayer we all desperately need. Friends, we are the servant who owes the master an impossible sum of gold-filled bags or talents. And Jesus continues his prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says something interesting after this. After forgive us our debts, uh, he continues with not so much a petition, a request of God, but this time rather a statement of fact regarding forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now that's a curious sentence. Let's, let's kind of unpack that. Again, this petition, uh, the petition of this part of the prayer is pretty, slain, pretty plain. Ask God to forgive us, but this add-on kind of statement is a little bit bizarre, but the, the English here really captures uh, what the Greek verb tense is really saying. So a little grammar lesson. I'll be quick for those who don't, didn't come to church for a grammar lesson, okay? Some of you are excited. Any English teachers? 
if I get it wrong, don't yell out. Just talk to me in private. I'm, I, I'm not a grammar. Anyway, the Greek word here is, is forgive. And it literally means to send away or, or to release. And so to forgive, you just, you send it away, you release. And it's in the active voice, which means that the, the, the subject of, of that, that sentence is doing the action. So here it's the, the first person plural, we. It's in the active voice. Uh, it's in the indicative mood, which simply means it's a statement of what is real, what is reality. And here's where, where the interesting thing is. It's in the aorist tense. Now, I don't know how common the aorist tense is in the English, but it is a tense that's very common in the ancient Greek. And the aorist te- tense is like the past tense. So think past tense, uh, but unlike the past tense, it's, it's the past tense, but it's not contained by time. It's just it is in the past. And so if it was just past tense, like, as we did forgive. No, it, we have forgiven. Like, it's just a statement of fact in the past, aorist tense. So really, this translation, we also have forgiven our debtors, is a, is a really good translation. It is just a statement of fact that has happened in the past as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, it's important to note, forgive us, our debts, is not a conditional statement uh, with we also have forgiven them. In other words, uh, our forgiveness doesn't hinge on our ability to forgive others, although there's some pretty strong correlation not only here but in the rest of Scripture. But Jesus clearly wants to connect them because the two actions are, they actually do go together. They're related, okay? And turn with me again to Matthew 18 and we see how these two things are related. Jesus continues his parable of the unmerciful servant. Again, we have just been told that this servant has been forgiven a, a debt that's absolutely impossible for him to repay his master. He's been set free, totally forgiven. That debt is no longer on over him, right? And this is his first act. We pick up in verse 28. But when this servant went out, so the first thing he does, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. It's about 100 days wages. So not an insignificant amount. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now, does that phrase sound familiar? That's exactly what he said to the the master. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. So a little recap, it's kind of in this kind of stunning twist of, of, of irony in like a horrible way. The same servant who's just been forgiven this impossible debt finds another servant who owes him, again, 100 silver coins, about 100 days wages. Not an insignificant amount, but nowhere near what he owed his master. And he demands his debt be repaid. Echoing the servant's first words, this servant says, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But instead of showing him mercy, compassion, or pity, kind of the same Greek word, he has this man thrown into prison. The other servants see this and they're outraged. And so are we. Like we we, we read this and we hear this and we're like, that's terrible. Because Jesus' parable, up to this point, he shows in dramatic fashion how the two movements of this prayer are connected. God forgive us as we have already forgiven them because they are inescapably and intimately connected in this way. When we understand the forgiveness that we've received, when we understand the debt that has been forgiven, it compels us to offer forgiveness to others. As Paul will write to the Colossians, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
we get it. We see it in this, in this parable. The parable helps us logically understand, conceptually, theologically, hypothetically, that when we have been given, when we've been forgiven a debt that's worth like a bazillion dollars, right? It's, it's, unself, it's selfish, it's unreasonable, and you might even say cruel to fret or even punish or hold over someone else who owes us maybe a couple thousand dollars. We get it, logically. And yet, when you take it out of the abstract, when you take it out of the hypothetical, when you take this reality out of the parable and place it into real life, into our lives, when we start talking about people who have seriously hurt others, like heinous crimes, like murder or abuse, or the list could continue, or let's bring it to home, like when, when we start thinking about people who have seriously hurt us, suddenly forgiveness does not feel all that reasonable and logical. In fact, I, I dare say that when we take this into our own lives, it actually becomes pretty easy to relate to the servant who's demanding his buddy pay him back a hundred silver coins. How can I forgive what that person did to me? I'm still suffering for what they've, the harm that they've caused me. I'm still mad. They don't deserve forgiveness. Are you kidding me? Do they even care what they did? They've shown no remorse. I don't even know if they know how bad they hurt me. I can't forgive them. And you know what? All of that might be true. They, they don't deserve it. They don't care. Maybe. But there's a gospel that has more to say. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Friends, forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. What we say is good news. Jesus' life, death, resurrection serve the purpose of what? For providing forgiveness, paying a debt that our sin created. And unless we're, and, 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 to prevent us from being tempted to, to think that this is some kind of cheap grace, right? Some kind of cheap forgiveness that just lets people off the hook and lets perpetrators continue to sin and, and do evil in this world. No, 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 no. That is not the forgiveness we're talking about here. Forgiveness that we, that, that, the gospel forgiveness is, is forgiveness that doesn't allow violence and evil to be perpetuated. And, and, if, and if that's our interpretation of what forgiveness is, that we just let people off the hook and let them continue, that's at best misinformed. And at worst, that, that has been used in manipulative ways to distort the truth and perpetuate evil. And so the concern is valid. But forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation and, and justice and accountability in gospel forgiveness is absolutely important. So we must not write off accountability and justice. How do we know that? The cross. The cross of Jesus reveals that forgiveness, that this grace that is represented in these baptismal waters was anything but cheap or free. It came at a deep price. It came at the price of God's only son who suffered and died a brutal, horrible death on the cross. It came at the price, the cost of Jesus' body and blood. 
And it was, a, it was something that only Jesus Christ could pay for, and he did it because he loved us willingly, right? That's the gospel. Now, again, I mentioned this in the email. We're talking about forgiveness, and there's all kinds of layers to this, and, and we don't have time this morning to go, like, well, how does that work? And, like, we don't have time to get into that. If you're looking for a resource, I put this in the email, but Tim Keller wrote a book, Forgive, It's Powerful. It's recent. I'd encourage you. He does a, a job, like, a pretty good job of being concise, and he does it in, like, 200 pages. I don't have 200 pages, okay? I have like four. I encourage you to pick that up. But here's the question I want to ask. What, what happens? What happens when we actually refuse to live into this gospel of forgiveness? What happens when we refuse to live into this gospel of forgiveness? Let's continue reading the parable of the unmerciful servant. Let's finish this parable. Remember again, a little context, the the first servant has thrown his fellow servant into prison until he could pay him back 100 silver coins. The other servants are upset, they, they share everything that's happened with the master, and we pick up in verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now again, we don't have time to unpack everything that's going on in this parable, but I just want to ask this one question that's on the screen. At the end of the parable, who finds themselves in prison? Who finds themselves being tortured in this prison at the end of Jesus' parable. It's the unmerciful servant. The servant who could not forgive his brother of his debt. Again, what does that all mean? What I do think it means is it says something about unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness, friends, puts us in a unique kind of prison that tortures us in a variety of different ways we think we're holding someone else in prison when we refuse to forgive, but the parable reminds us that actually we've put ourselves in our own little prison. It's not freedom, it's captivity. Forgiveness will begin to eat at our hearts, sometimes in obvious ways that you cannot deny, but oftentimes unforgiveness begins to eat at our hearts in subtle ways that we can easily miss. See, when my dear friend, Pastor Tony, was, was let go from the church that took over our building, at that time we were living in Michigan. So we had moved to Michigan, so there really wasn't much realistically I could do about it. I, well, I don't really know what I really realistically could have done about it if we were still living in California. So anyway, I'm living in Michigan, so I didn't do anything about it, right? I just kind of forgot about it and moved on. And it was like about a year later. I don't remember the exact timing, but I was, I was taking this class at Western Theological Seminary right here in Holland. Western Seminary, whoop. And um, it was a class called Pastor as Person. Pastor as Person. Did you know that pastors are people? <laughs> yeah. We took a class to remind us that, you know what, we're just people. It's actually a fantastic, powerful class. Among other things, we, we just took a deep look at, uh, within ourselves, 
We looked at the experience that have impacted us and shaped us and asked all kinds of really tough questions. Anyway, around that same time that I was taking this class, pastor's person, I was sitting down for coffee with a mentor of mine at the church I was, I was serving, and, and I'd recently found out about someone else who had been let go from a church. And so we're having coffee in, in, I think it was downtown Zealand at the flower shop there, and I'm just expressing my anger. Now, I don't get all that I don't like yell or anything, but I was just expressing my anger and my frustration about the whole thing. I was like, I can't believe they let them go. Like, what are they doing? Like, this is unfair. This is unjust. Like, this is terrible. And I'm just, I'm just venting on and on with this mentor of mine. He's listening. And then, and then there's this moment where he stops. I don't remember exactly how it unfolded. I just know that in this like gentle way that he always spoke, he says to me, he goes, you know, JV, sometimes... Um, I've noticed that when, a, when an emotional response that I have is a little bit disproportionate to the particular situation, he says that's kind of a signal to me that, that something else might be going on beneath the surface. What he's saying is when my emotional response doesn't match what I'm facing, it's elevated, it's escalated, he's saying that might be an opportunity to look a little bit beneath the surface. I didn't even realize it. But I was holding resentment and unforgiveness in my heart against some leaders of the church after Pastor Tony's dismissal. And this anger, this resentment was holding me captive, not in, not in obvious ways that impacted my everyday life, but in small, subtle ways without me even realizing it until it was triggered by something else. Well, that led to some awkward weird, but I will say mostly grace-filled conversations. Seminary has you doing some weird things, you know, like stepping out and, in a good way. But friends, it made me realize how powerful and dangerous unresolved anger, resentment, and contempt can be in my own heart. One who generally sees myself as not that angry of a person, Right? And I could see how even a little grievance can find a subtle place in my heart and start to grow into something more. And that something more is something I didn't really like to see. Seen that a little bit in our world today? A little bit, maybe? Maybe a lot? See, anger can quickly become this kind of -of out-of-control snowball that's like speeding down a mountain, and along the way, it's picking up things like Resentment, contempt, rage, and by the bottom of the mountain, it can lead to some pretty ugly, nasty places. And friends, the only way to stop it, the only way to fully stop it is to fully embrace the gospel of forgiveness and grace that we've received. Now again, how that unfolds, what that, where does just, like, those are all really good questions. But the only way to stop this out-of-control snowball is grace and forgiveness. And it's why the apostle wrote these words in Ephesians 4, and I think this is a good place to close. Ephesians 4, verses 29 and following. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then listen to this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with other 
along with every other form of malice, excuse me. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, the reality of forgiveness is hard. Acknowledging our own sin and brokenness is hard. Not only acknowledging that to you, but acknowledging that to those we've, we've hurt is hard. Lord, offering forgiveness of debts is, is hard. And Lord, we cannot do this apart from you. And we cannot do this apart from the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, as, as we close, may we be reminded of the good news that our debts have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. It was given in love by Jesus Christ. And Lord, may that compel us to live into this same gospel. We're gonna mess up. We're gonna do it imperfectly. We're gonna continue to hurt one another, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes in our weaker moments. But Lord, may this community be a community of grace and forgiveness justice, accountability, all these things as we continue to dig deeper in the truth and the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us. Arms are open wide Forgiveness
now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Giving up on better days, there are memories we can't erase. Lay it all down, lay it all down. We've come to feel what we can't explain. There's nothing here that can ease the pain. Lay it all down, lay it all down at the feet. Of Jesus at the feet of Jesus. Lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down. Lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down. Lay it all down, lay it all down. Thank you.